This is Pastor Landon Davis. Thank you for joining me for our daily Bible study. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in the World English Bible. Follow after love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in another language speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands. But in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, exhortation, and consolation. He who speaks in another language edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the assembly. Now I desire to have you all speak with other languages, but rather that you would prophesy, for he is greater who prophesies than he who speaks with other languages, unless he interprets that the assembly may be built up. So we are to desire spiritual gifts, and Paul stressed that in the church it's better to have a word of prophecy than a message in tongues, because the go of a message in church is for the church to understand. We're we're speaking of public messages here, so not not your private prayer in church, but actually speaking to the body of believers. Speaking in tongues will edify the speaker because he's in direct communication with God. And the Holy Ghost will help him to pray as he should. It gives utterance to things that he couldn't express on his own. However, when speaking to the church, the primary goal should be to edify the body. And so prophecy is an inspired word in the native tongue of the speaker, and thus usually in the native tongue of the hearers. Now, again, the subject here, the gifts of the Spirit, as we mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, um, when we speak of tongues here, we are not referring to the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues privately, but we're talking about these gifts of grace, charisma gifts that are given to the body. And so it's a gift that's for the edifying of the entire church, not just for the individual. And so Paul's comparing two speaking gifts of the Spirit here, two public ministries of the Spirit, tongues and prophecy, and their ability to edify the church as a corporate unit. And so when you give a message in tongues, certainly the power of God moves on you, you would feel blessed, um, but it's only beneficial to the church if there's an interpretation. It's only beneficial to the church if someone can understand it so that they can receive it. Verse 6, But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking with other languages, what would I profit you, unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, or of knowledge, or of prophesying, or of teaching, even things without life, giving a voice, whether pipe or harp, if they didn't give a distinction in the sound, how would it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet gave an uncertain sound, who would prepare himself for war? So also you, unless you uttered by the tongue words easy to understand, how would it be known what is spoken? For you would be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without meaning. If then I don't know the meaning of the language, I would be to him who speaks a foreigner, and he who speaks would be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek that you may abound to the building up of the assembly. It's good to be zealous 
But spiritual gifts are always intended to bless the church. They're never intended to exalt the individual. So God imparts certain gifts to certain individuals. This is not necessarily a sign of the individual's level of spirituality. It's simply God's will for that person to receive that gift for the good of all. And so this is true of the gift of tongues. An eloquent or lengthy message in tongues is of little value to the church unless it is interpreted. And if God doesn't supply the interpretation either to the speaker or to another believer, then the tongue, while it may be of God, they may be praying in the Spirit, the tongue was not a a gift of the Spirit intended to be shared with the congregation. It is just a personal prayer of that individual. Verse 13, Therefore let him who speaks in another language pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who fills the place of the unlearned say the amen at your giving of thanks, seeing he doesn't know what you say? For you most certainly give thanks well, but the other person is not built up. Again, notice this is praying or speaking in the hearing of someone else for for the purpose of blessing them. So once again, we see the focus of the charismatic gifts, these gifts of grace for the body. The, The tongues as a charismatic gift is for the church. An individual should always pray for an interpretation if they're led to give a message in tongues to the church. And so, in truth, when we pray in tongues, we're praying in the Spirit from our spirits. The one praying doesn't even have a full understanding of his prayers or songs in tongues. And in our relationship with God, it's important to communicate in tongues as well as to engage our minds and pray with our understanding in our native language. And so, if praying with understanding is important for the one praying then how much more important is it for those that are listening? How can they respond or agree or appreciate a message or be edified in any way if they can't understand what we're saying? Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with other languages more than you all. However, in the assembly, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might instruct others also than 10,000 words in another language. So Paul is not against praying in tongues. As seen in Acts chapter 19 verse 6, he had no problem with tongues as the sign of the infilling of the Spirit. He did have a problem here with giving a message in tongues to the church with no interpretation. Um, When communicating to the church, the speaker needs to be understood. He's very specific here. In the assembly, I would rather speak five words with my understanding than I might instruct others. So when communicating to the church, the speaker needs to be understood. He cannot effectively teach others in an unknown tongue. Verse 20, Brothers, don't be children in thoughts, yet in malice be babies, but in thoughts be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange languages and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. They won't even hear me that way, says the Lord. Therefore other languages are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelieving, but prophesying is for a sign, not to the unbelieving, but to those who believe. 
And so messages in tongues are given so God can speak to his people, and they serve the same essential purpose as prophecy. However, the message is accompanied with the sign of tongues for those that otherwise maybe would not believe. It, it certainly will get your attention if you ever hear a message given to a congregation in tongues. And so there should be much assurance of the word when a message is given properly in tongues. Uh, sadly, even with this evidence of the supernatural, many people still won't believe. Now, prophecy without tongues, on the other hand, it, it's not accompanied with a sign. And so men under inspiration speak the words of God directly. And if someone believes the message, then they're going to receive that prophecy by faith. Verse 23, if therefore the whole assembly is assembled together and all speak with other languages and unlearned or unbelieving people come in, won't they say that you are crazy? But if all prophesy and someone unbelieving or unlearned comes in, he is reproved by all and he is judged by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. So he will fall down on his face and worship God, declaring that God is among you indeed. And so the, the sign of tongues which is supposed to be uh, evidence of the validity of a message at, that that's what God intended it for. If it's abused, it can destroy faith. If multiple speakers are giving messages or sermons entirely in tongues, um, it's not going to bless the church. But worse, if an unlearned person, uh, someone who's not familiar with tongues or an unbeliever, if they came in and everyone is speaking like you're you're speaking for the body to hear and to receive the message, but it's in a language that no one's familiar with, they'll decide that that's crazy. If there are multiple messages in multiple languages and, and no one can understand what anyone else is saying, uh, so it's abuse of the gift it's supposed to be a sign for the for the unbeliever but a, a, an abuse of the gift results in chaos and disorder since prophecy is spoken clearly then it's easily understood and so although prophecy is intended primarily for believers if an unbeliever hears the word there's power in the word and and receives it then it can have a powerful impact on that person's life so paul here is not negatively comparing messages in tongues against interpretation with an interpretation to prophecy instead he's reiterating what was stated in verse 5 if you're going to give your message in tongues it's a powerful thing it's of god but if you're giving a message to the church in tongues it's only beneficial if it's accompanied with interpretation. That's the only way it's as effective as just giving prophecy, just giving a direct word. So messages in tongues, though they they are a miraculous sign for the benefit of unbelievers, are ineffective if there is not an interpretation to explain the message. Verse 26, what is it then, brothers? When you come together, each one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has another language, or has an interpretation. Let all things be done to build each other up. If any man speak in another language, let it be two, or at the most three, and in turn let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the assembly, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak, two or three, and let the others discern. But if a revelation is made to another sitting by, let the first keep silent. For you all can prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and that all may be exhorted. 
The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the assemblies of the saints. So, judging by Paul's tone here, it seems that the services have degenerated to a state of confusion. So, saints were abusing grace. We read that earlier in the book, um, or in this epistle, by allowing sin to remain in the church. Then we find out they're abusing the Lord's Supper by selfishly feasting and even getting drunk. And now, apparently, they're abusing the gifts of the Spirit. They're zealous for a demonstration of the gifts to appear spiritual without actually having any concern for edifying the body. Can you imagine being in church and people competing with each other to give messages in tongues uh, and and one interrupting the other and trying to be louder and, and be dominant? If a message in tongues is given to the church, it has to be done in an orderly manner. And so he he says there should be a limit to the number of messages and they shouldn't be given simultaneously. If the message is for the church and and not simply communication between an individual and God, then the message must be interpreted. Now, if someone is praying and they give a message and there is no interpretation, he says the speaker should be silent in the church. Now, this doesn't mean complete silence because he he continues in his instructions and says that they can continue speaking, continue speaking in tongues in this case, but recognize that you're talking to God. And so this is a matter when uh, sometimes when, when people are praying, particularly in the spirit, they feel very inspired or very emotional and they're responding and, and, and may even raise their voice. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're intending for the whole congregation to hear it. If a message is given and there's no interpretation, keep praying, but pray uh, um, and, and communicate with God. Don't try to project it to the entire assembly. So the the stipulation that Paul gave in this chapter is for messages in tongues. Again, I'm going to keep reiterating that because we we have to see the distinction to make sense of the scripture, this charisma gift of tongues, because it's intended for the benefit of the entire church. These stipulations are not for individuals praying to God in tongues. It's not like only three people can pray, as we see in our, our two people. It's not that every time you pray in tongues, there has to be an interpretation. Uh, this is if you're giving a message to the church. As we see in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, when someone initially receives their own personal gift, the I, I believe it's Doria is the word. My Greek pronunciation is terrible, but so is my English. Um, but when they receive that initial baptism of the Holy Ghost for themselves, there, there's no limit to the number of people that can pray in tongues. Uh, whether it's 120 on the day of Pentecost or or Cornelius' household or the disciples of John, they they were all speaking in, in other languages and tongues. There was no expectation for an interpretation. There was none given in any of those accounts. Anyone has the right to pray in tongues. Anyone has the right to pray in tongues in the church, even without an interpretation. But if they're going to pray in tongues in church, they are praying to God. They are not giving a message. They're talking to God. They're not giving a message to the congregation. And so in a Pentecostal service, it's not uncommon 
for many people to speak in tongues while seeking God. In fact, I would consider that a very good service, a deep move of the Spirit. This happens during the altar service. Sometimes this happens during the praise and worship portion of the service. This is appropriate because the communication is between the individual and God. The individual is being edified with no attempt to edify the body. They're they're communing with God themselves. Comparably, churches from many different traditions and denominations allow time for individuals to talk to God at the conclusion of a service. Many even pray out aloud, but they don't each raise their voice to pray prayers intended to be heard by the congregation. It's a time of personal prayer. So even if they're speaking out loud, they're not projecting their voice for the benefit of the people on the back row. But, but no, they're, they're talking to God. It's the individual and the Lord. It would be entirely inappropriate for everyone in the church to pray aloud simultaneously speaking to the church body. It would be inappropriate for the service to be continually interrupted as members of the church burst out in loud prayers over the congregation. Or if everyone in the congregation wanted to give a message and pray over the congregation, all of this would be disorderly. So the stipulations that Paul placed on the use of the gift of tongues to give messages to the church are just good common sense. They're generally accepted and applicable for messages of prophecy as well, or for prayer that are not in tongues. Basically, God's not the author of confusion. When God speaks, the gifts must be used in a manner that maximizes the ability of the congregation to receive the message. Verse 34, Let the wives be quiet in the assemblies, for it has not been permitted for them to be talking except in submission, as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a wife to be talking in the assembly. What? Was it from you that the word of God went out, or did it come to you alone? So, um, first, the this is not just speaking of women generically, because it's uh, the same word that's translated as a, a woman can also be translated as a wife, and context tells you which it is. And so I think the World English Bible does a good job here of translating as a wife because they're told that they, if they have questions, they can ask their husbands at home. And so clearly it's speaking of a husband and wife relationship here. Um, also, it, it refers to submission. And, and I don't think anyone believes that every woman is supposed to be submitted to every man. And so this is the husband-wife relationship seems to be what's in view here. Um Again, when it speaks of being quiet in the assembly, and this isn't an absolute silence again, because uh, they're not; it's not permitted for them to be talking except in submission. So it's about having appropriate speech, um, and and so on the day of Pentecost. So so there's a stipulation on when they can speak. Is what I'm saying. There's an appropriate way for a woman to speak in the church. Um, there's an appropriate way for for a woman to magnify God and to glorify God and for a woman to be used of God. And we see one of the appropriate uses for a woman, for a wife, um, to be used of God 
is to speak in tongues. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 120 are gathered in the upper room and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. It's specified that there are women there as well. And when the Spirit comes, it falls on every one of them. They're all speaking with tongues. The crowd hears them speaking with tongues. They ask, what does this mean that we hear all these people speaking in tongues? And then Peter quotes from the prophet Joel to explain what they're hearing, this phenomenon. He says, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. And so here they are gathered together. It's a, a prayer meeting. It's a church service. It's, it's all together in the church. They receive the Holy Ghost. They're all individually speaking in tongues. They're not giving a message to the church. They're glorifying God. Um, but all of the, the women are speaking in tongues. And and whenever Peter is quoting from Joel, he, he expands it beyond um, just what's happening there. But he says, this is the evidence of the outpouring of the Spirit. And he goes on to say that there, there's going to be the dreaming of dreams and the seeing of vision, seeing visions. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So we see that women were allowed to speak. They were allowed to speak in tongues, uh, that, that daughters were going to prophesy. And we see that happens in the book of Acts. Um, but even in this very book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gave instructions uh, concerning women when they pray or prophesy in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He, he says this is what's appropriate for, for holy godly women that pray and prophesy. And so it doesn't seem that this can be a complete prohibition, that women have to be absolutely silent. They can't speak at all, ever, at all. It's wrong. Um, so how do we reconcile what he's saying here with what he said in 1 Corinthians 11 when he was talking about women giving a message of prophecy? So there, there are a couple of suggested solutions here. Um, one, in the immediate context here, just verse 34, verse 35, um, maybe it's not speaking of praying or prophesying or even teaching in any way, but specifically the text states that a wife can ask questions at home if she wants to learn something. So maybe in this context, questions are what he has in mind. And so if she has questions, remain quiet in church. This might imply that Again, we're talking about disorder here. So this might imply that wives were interrupting service to ask their husbands questions. Now, the the overarching theme is about how to do things appropriately here. And so some people believe that Paul is just, again, giving practical advice. And this time, it's practical advice to address a local problem. And, and some even think that there's possibly a, a language barrier involved here um, because you have the Roman Empire, uh, and and it's Latin-based, and you, there's, again, all throughout the early Christian churches, you had um, the Jewish influence, and and so some of their Aramaic speech or the various um, tongues or dialects that they could be using, uh, whether that's Hebrew or Aramaic, and then, uh, and then now you have kind of the universal language of business, which is Greek, uh, still uh, the leftover, the remnant uh, from 
the residual effect, I guess I should say, of the Greek Empire before. And so the Old Testament scriptures, which they were using as their Bible, um, what was commonly used, what's commonly quoted in the New Testament is the Greek version of the Old Testament. So some people speculate that perhaps the women who, who weren't as likely to be involved in industry and the workforce and all of this maybe weren't as familiar with Greek. Again, that's having to speculate quite a bit, and, and I'm not comfortable stating anything as a fact that we have to speculate. I'm just saying this is one possible solution to this problem, that Paul, he's already talked about women praying and prophesying and and, and didn't forbid it, didn't say it was wrong, but now he's addressing a problem where they are asking questions about what's transpiring in service, and it's becoming an interruption. It's becoming disorderly. Uh, a second possibility, and, and it addresses a little more of the text here, I think, because there's a problem in in that solution uh, that I just offered. Uh, one, you're having to make some assumptions, but secondly, um, when, when Paul is explaining this need for wives to to be quiet in the church um he he referenced the need for a wife when she speaks to do this in submission to her husband if wives were interrupting service to ask questions of their husband that would actually appear to me anyway that they were being extremely deferential to their husband they were submitting to their husband they were asking for his opinion and and so Perhaps what Paul is talking about here is he's speaking of wives that were in some way usurping the authority of their husband. And the reason I suggest this is because Paul actually addresses this in 1 Timothy, um, that, that wives that were being used in the in the church or attempting to be used of God in the church, and perhaps it's creating disorder in the home, and they're trying to now... Um, lead their husband or dominate their husband in some way. And so to usurp or take authority um, and, and abusing the liberty that they have in Christ and to, to the point that it's breaking down um, the home and the dynamics of the home. And so Paul addressed something similar in his letter to Timothy. And so Perhaps that's what he has in mind here, and then that would be a persistent teaching of his. Um, and that would certainly fit with the mention of submission and the law, because in the law we see from the very first judgment of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the wife was told that her husband would have authority over her and and that her desire was going to be to her husband. And so this is also seems to fit with the immediate context, because uh, just the verse prior to this, he was talking about if you had a message of prophecy that was given, and this would include a message in tongues with interpretation, uh, just a prophecy that's given to the church, the message was to be judged. And so there would be multiple people who had revelations or messages, and he said, don't accept everything as being from God, but judge it. Is this truly from God? And so perhaps what Paul didn't want to happen here is he didn't want a wife to publicly challenge or correct her husband um, if he gave a message or had what he believed was a revelation from God. Um, and so there are several possibilities here. Some people do see this as just an absolute, uh, a, a woman has to be completely silent in church. Um, and then others are uh, say, well, they can't 
speak to men, but they can maybe teach Sunday school or whatever. And then um, I think since we're first introduced to the idea of women prophesying and speaking was where Paul was actually giving them permission. And then we have the example again in, in Acts uh, of daughters prophesying. We've got several cases where that transpires. I, I don't see how this can be an absolute prohibition. And so one of these other possible solutions uh, will help us maybe to to make sense of what Paul is teaching here. Um, <coughs> here's the reason why we have to try to make sense of it. Verse 37, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you, that they are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So we have to be careful that we don't just ignore this or explain it away uh, or because we want to try to understand Paul's teaching and make sense of it so that we can honestly obey it because obedience to the command of God is the evidence of true spirituality. Verse 39, Therefore, brothers, desire earnestly to prophesy and don't forbid speaking with other tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And so now we get to really the the whole point of this entire chapter. We should desire deliver to deliver God's message in a manner that is understood. This this doesn't mean that tongues should be forbidden. In fact, tongues are a gift of the spirit given by God intended to bless the church along with the gift of interpretation. Our our goal should always be to use the gifts appropriately so that everything is decent and in order, and that it accomplishes the purpose uh, for which God intended when he gave us the gift. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask that you would help us to understand it. You would help us to live it. Help us, God, to, to in our service for you, to be led by your spirit, to do everything with charity. Help us to do it with clarity, God. Help us to be able uh, to deliver your message, your word, uh, your intention to the people. I, I pray that you'll use your church mightily in this this dark time that we find ourselves in and that we can be a light in darkness and we could turn men's hearts back to God. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join me again tomorrow for another episode. Mm-hmm.